This is Bianca Chow, co-host of Global Connections, and today on episode four, join with me as Vicky Lee and Jeffrey Zhang, who both work at Michigan State University. Vicky is currently the International Student Advisor and Student Engagement Coordinator at the Office of International Students and Scholars, and Jeffrey is currently an Academic Advisor at the College of Engineering. Both of them are from Hong Kong and have been in the U.S. since their undergraduate times, which is double the time that I have been here. I was very excited to have this opportunity to speak with fellow Hong Kongers in this field because there are just not that many of us. Produced by the Commission for Global Dimensions of Student Development, ACPA and Anchor, Global Connections aim to connect folks from all functional areas interested in cross-cultural learning, development of intercultural competencies, internationalization, and student services around the world. Thank you both for joining me on Global Connections today. This is such an amazing opportunity, especially for me, to sit down with two other Hong Kongers working in higher education in the U.S. Before we dive into our discussion today, could I have both of you introduce yourself to our audience first? Hi, uh, my name is Jeffrey Sang. Um, I am currently at Michigan State University. I work as an academic advisor in the College of Engineering, um, so working with undergraduate students. Um, I have been in the U.S. for almost 10 years. I went to uh, college at Oregon State University um, and got my bachelor's there. And then right after that, I uh, went to the University of Vermont uh, for my master's program uh, in higher education and student affairs. Uh, and then came to Michigan uh, for a job. They were willing to sponsor my um, H-1B visa and um, for two terms. So, um, and now they're sponsoring my green card. So it's been a great time at uh, Michigan State, um, but I will be here for a little bit longer uh, because I'll be pursuing a PhD here as well. Um, so MSU is treating me great. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi everyone, my name is Vicky Lee. I'm currently the International Student Advisor and Student Engagement Coordinator at the Office for International Students and Scholars at Michigan State University. Um, I came to Michigan State actually in 2013 to pursue a bachelor's degree. Right after I finished my bachelor's at Michigan State, I went to Vanderbilt University to pursue my graduate coursework um, in higher education administration. Upon my um, graduation from Vanderbilt, I was actually able to come back to my alma mater um, to an office where my interest in higher education and student affairs actually started. Um, so kind of come back to full circle. Um, and fortunate enough, the office was um, able to sponsor me currently as well. Um, my role is a hybrid position where I do a little bit of immigration advising, plus a little bit of engagement and programming work, plus a little bit of um, internal external campus partnership collaboration projects and stuff so yeah Michigan has been great um, I've spent now that I think about it probably one-fourth of my entire life in Michigan so I wonder how you got to know each other just because you work in the same institution doesn't mean you know each other um, so could you tell us how you got to know each other um it's actually really interesting. It was um, wait, 20 It was 2015. 15. 
when I was actually figuring out which graduate school to apply to and I was like really active in different graduate school uh, graduate students of student affairs face and I was like this name is very Hong Kong let's reach out <laughs> and it took him two months to respond to my first email <laughs> um, but then Super we connected cool. and then and then fast forward to a year later he started his position at MSU while I'm already in my graduate program and I came back to Michigan for a visit and it just happened that I was in the international student office, student scholar office, and um, my former supervisor was processing his I-9 and I was like, dude, this is a Hong Kong passport. I probably, that was probably when I started. Yeah, you first started. Yeah. I don't know if either. January. Opened. Yeah. Uh, maybe not January. I won't drive back in January, <laughs> but Anyway, that's how we first met, but then we never talked at all until what happened afterwards? Until the social, yeah. yeah um, a colleague of mine who is also a PETA identifying was my former supervisor. Um, she invited me to come to the um, APIDA faculty staff association. And then that's how we, for some reason, got quote reconnected while we never talked before. Yeah. And then, um, Interestingly enough, um, Jeff connected me to our third roommate via a Google Doc where the APIDA Undergraduate Student Association was putting out demands and statements responding to COVID about a year ago. And uh, yeah, I met my other roommate on a Google Doc. Um, and that's how the three of us kind of live together right now and really grinding through this COVID pandemic work from home time. That's awesome. It's good to have people that really understand the struggle and kind of get to struggle through together. I think that's so important. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your identity as being from Hong Kong. How has that shaped the way you work with students and coworkers? It's interesting because even when I lived in Hong Kong, I went to you know international school my whole life. So I already felt you know, different from like the locals uh, in Hong Kong. So you already try to differentiate yourself like very early in your life. And then you come to the US and then people are like, they assume that you're just like from the area. So when I was in Oregon, they assumed that I was like, you know, I grew up in like Portland or Seattle and um, like, it was just very normal. Uh, and then when people, when I tell people that I'm from Hong Kong, they're like, wow. I didn't expect that. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think, because like in, in, in Asia, you would never like identify with being like Asian. Like that is just not something that you are cognizant of, right? Like when you're in Asia, you're like, oh, I'm Chinese or I'm from Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And like, that's it, right? And you don't really need to go in depth or be like more high level saying, oh, I'm Asian. like. No, yeah, we know you're, you're Asian, um, but in the U.S., like this whole like Asian identity, it's it's very different. Like you, you never like no one ever tells you that you know when you come to the U.S. that you you form this new identity uh, of you know, yourself. Um, and I would say like you know working with a lot of like students from China, like they always like try to 
like relate with you. And I'm like, I don't really relate that much. Like, even though I was an international student and, you know, I have that, you know, international student experience, my experience is very different because I don't have any language, like any language barriers in class or in like regular, like life or getting adjusted. Like my experience was very different. And I think, I think my, the complexity comes with you know, how do you identify with being Asian, Asian American um, when you're not American? <laughs> I think right now I identify a little bit more being American because I'm already, I've already been here for so long. Um, but I think it's still in this like awkward, like hybrid phase. Yeah, I agree. I think as long as you're visa holding, you're kind of in like a special category that you can really fit in. Um, I think being from Hong Kong, I went to, um, I did my diploma program. So I spent my last two years of high school um, in an international school and all the times before that in a local secondary school and uh, primary school, which is elementary school. Um, I think that would add a little bit more of like a different neat experience kind of transition, transitioning from where I was to where I am right now. Um, I definitely think that being from Hong Kong is a privilege because you are able to interact with a lot of, a very diverse group of people even before I traveled to the US for the first time when I was 18. Um, and of course, like coming to the US was, was still a big adjustment, but you know, I was able to find my my group of Hong Kongers back then to to they were able to really empower me and support me throughout my transition. And now that I'm a staff member working in an international student scholars office, I am fortunate that, you know, they understand that dynamic, um, that complexity. But I think working with students um, has been interesting, though. Um, as a lot of us know, majority of our international student population um, is from China. And so being a Hong Konger, working with them and their family members and their parents on various platform, either that be WeChat through Zoom, you know, events. And um, I was fortunate enough to also travel to China to meet new students and their families. In those settings, it kind of put me in a very interesting spot where, okay, well, do I identify myself as Chinese Chinese? Do I self-disclose that I'm from Hong Kong or am I just gonna fake my Mandarin to a degree that they see me as part of them? Um, I think that has been a bit challenging to, to navigate. Um, and I think that it's the same with, you know, some students or um, other professional who are maybe from regions like Taiwan or even, our Canadian colleagues who are from Quebec, like how do you, you know, identify yourself? Are you Canadian enough? Or are you, you know, Chinese enough? Are you Taiwanese enough? Are you Hong Konger enough? Like, I think a lot of those things adds onto the complexity, but that experience, that transition and that whole package really challenged me to really think about diversity, equity, and inclusion in a different perspective, because I think that would allow us to really be a little more empathetic and think in a more holistic way on how we approach DEI and how we really think about how to support, best support our students per se.
how do you sort of reconcile the intersectionality of your identities of being Asian? And, you know, at some point in your life, right now, I consider myself, especially I'm Asian from Asia, but kind of on that spectrum of the Asian identity, I guess I'm progressing towards the Asian American uh, part where Jeff, you mentioned a little bit about it. Um, and then now being from Hong Kong in particular, on top of that being a visa holder, um, and it could be other parts of your identities. How do you navigate your identity um, in the Apita community, especially at a time like this now with, with COVID and a lot of discrimination against Asian folks? Well, I guess I can kind of start off um, again, like, I don't particularly think that I need to, like when I first started, right, as a staff member, starting a full-time job or even during graduate school, what do I know about a PETA really? Other than, oh, I'm one of the two Asians in my cohort. Um, and then after moving to, moving back to Michigan for a full-time job, um, I always just identify myself as international, not exactly a PETA. Um, and my office literally work with the international population. And I knew majority of the staff member in that office even before I started. So I never really had to go through that transition. I always knew that I already had connections even before I got, I was back. Um, and so I think that that was something that really helped me. Um, but it's really gradually starting from, it's, it's just like, Bianca and I texted twice, two times, three times a week and talk about everything. And oftentimes it's whenever things happen in Hong Kong and you realize, oh snap, I actually wanted to talk to someone who is so far away from home to really get things processed. And that was a time when I realized, oh yeah, I, I think I really need to find a community where they would understand what I'm going through. Like not only like speaking Cantonese, that's like a different story, but you know, I just want someone who can resonate with my experience and really get some of these incidents and, and you know, whatever happening around the world um, to just process it and make sure that I'm not the only one who's feeling like isolated or struggling with getting something processed emotionally and with, you know, recent incidents in Atlanta, how we have gotten, I have gotten a lot more active um, in involving myself in the faculty and staff association for the APEDA and Asian faculty and staff group in MSU. You can see like, you know, being part of that community, you're not only helping yourself, but you're also empowering students as a faculty or staff member. Um, and from there, you can really start to really dive into what is actually the gap between, okay, what the APEDA community is doing and what my office is doing and where's the gap and how can I advocate for my, especially international Asian students, who, which in our institution is vast majority of them. Like, how can I be a voice for those students and advocate in different capacity? And how can that whole experience being involved with other faculty and staff who identified as a PETA or Asian can also help to support my mental health being and even in some capacity professional development as well so. Mm, I think that 
you know, being in the U.S., you can't really like differentiate yourself. You know, oh, I'm from, I'm from like Asia, Asia. Like I, I'm, I'm exempt from, you know, hearing, you know, being discriminated against or hearing like racist things like in in the grocery store. Like you, you can't just remove yourself from that, right? You can't remove yourself from that experience because other people who are doing these things, they. They can't tell, you know, you, you will be grouped together, regardless of if you like it or not, regardless of if you are vocal about it or not. Um, like, for us that we kind of, you know, just blend in um, to the US culture. And um, that might also, you know, just made me think about how it might also tie back into like our upbringing in Hong Kong, you know, being like a former like British colony, like we were all born with like when it was still, you know, a British colony and, you know, how we've always had to sort of um, blend in, you know, like, and you're know, coming from a culture where, culture and a place where we are the majority to a place that you are not. I think it makes us hyper aware because we grew up in Hong Kong that we, we, we learned to, you know, blend in and you know not make like a fuss about things mm -hmm. um but then when you finally realize that you are really in the minority and there's actually not that many of you here and like you can count them with like you know one hand um then I think you you realize that you know there is like a strength in numbers and also with like shared experiences because like even even as part of the you know APIDA faculty and staff community like there are people that are probably in the same you know situation as you or they've been in the same situation as you and now they are you know either like fully like citizens because they've gone through the same process as you um like through work visa and then green card permanent residency and then finally become a citizen but you just don't know until you like talk to them um i think there are definitely more commonalities than you would just assume you you would just assume oh everyone was born here you know everyone was born here and they grew up here the whole life uh when in essence like there is still that you know shared experience like whether you you were born here or you immigrated here when you were young or you came for college like us um i i think that there's still that similar common experience and i think one thing good to note is that so us being from hong kong we identify as asian asian we have probably encountered quite a bit of different asians from different countries around the continent um not continent but <laughs> it's a continent yes it's a, it's a continent <laughs> it's a continent a huge continent <laughs> sorry it's okay um, it's it's more like okay i can kind of make an assumption based on oh i see bianca i see jeff oh i think they are chinese like kind of from those kind of country and region but to other groups that are not Apita or Asian identifying, they might not even have a clue. Like all of us with like dark hair, yellow skin are just Asian. So like piggyback on what Jeff has mentioned about like those experiences, those discriminatory acts, 
um, we probably will still get the same. We don't get like a special permit just because we're from Hong Kong that we are exempt from a lot of the discrimination or a lot of you know being targeted in some capacity or not. Um, and of course, you know, being a visa sponsored um, individual like that is somewhere inside of us we won't just put a sticker on our forehead and say hey yo I'm on a visa like that's not how it works of course and you are not trying or at least I am not trying to like seek attention that way and so in order to find someone who would really understand my struggle I think identifying allies in this situation and finding that community that's why that's also part of the reason why I think like being part of such a community is important. Um, I mean, personally, like I'm still um, on the WeChat group with the Chinese Faculty Club, which is really foreign-born um, Chinese national um, faculty and staff members who are in MSU. I still get updates from them, but do I identify more with that community because more, even more of them might be identified as sponsored individual? Um, I think it depends on what issue are you talking about, right? Like. Um, in terms of cultural adjustments, I really don't know if that group really can provide me that much of an insight because, again, I've been here for a while already. Um, I do think that Hong Kong, again, has given me quite a diverse experience to start off with. Language wasn't really a barrier for me. Um, after two years in an international school, before I came to the U.S., I think my English is not that bad. Um, and so I think, you know, oftentimes it's more like, where do you opt in to be part of? And in what ways do you think that community could be beneficial to your personal development? Or how do you find that niche where you really feel like you fit in? You both mentioned about getting support. Um, I think with the APIDA community, I've naturally gravitated towards them because Culturally, I feel that that would be my natural tendency to go towards if I needed some sort of support. Um, but I have realized that in interacting with a lot of APIDA folks is that there's a lot of trauma within that community that I don't um, relate with that's very much intergenerational as well. Um, and so that's something that I, I have felt um, trying to be a part of the APIDA community. I wonder for you, where do you get your sort of support? You mentioned allies. Who are your allies? I think that definitely, you know, at first it was kind of awkward, you know, um, finding like community in like the PETA community, like the Asian American community, um, because you feel like an outsider because you, you, you don't really like, um, you don't identify as I mean, Asian American. And, you know, like in our field, you know, in higher ed and student affairs is you're, you're all about connections, right? And you don't really like, you, you want to try to find people that are, you know, similar to you, especially like if you're looking for like mentorship and, um just people that you can go to for advice you know your community um but then I think that with time you sort of 
reconcile the experience that, oh, actually, like their experience is not that significantly different than mine. And we can find, you know, that common, like common ground that like, in terms of like, your identity uh, and your culture, that's not really that much different. And they get to learn about us, you know, in ways that they probably didn't expect either. Um, and I feel like every time in like, one of the faculty staff meetings like they always learn something new about us yep. <laughs> um and i mean i i guess it's the same with them right like we learn new things about them mm -hmm. like um and i think that is how we sort of like balance that oh well even if you don't identify as asian american like there are other ways to find community within the same people yeah, and I think like, you know, it, it really depends on individual preferences, right? I don't think as as Asian, as a sponsored individual who has been here for who knows how many years, depending on when have you started your American dream journey, um, it is very hard for folks like us to find a mentor who really have, who has very, very similar experience than us, like, you know, like, I probably have never met anyone like really similar to me who is especially from Hong Kong. Um, and so, you know, you, you give and take, you really try to find a mentor who can best support you. Um, some of my best mentor, some of them are Caucasian, some of them are um, Arab American who has been here on refugee status and on um, and stayed here like those are really good mentors and I personally think that other than my really good Caucasian mentor who has been providing me a lot of you know um, professional development opportunities and really have empowered me to do something more than I could um, the minority identifying mentors have really provided me insight in terms of how I can strive in the U.S. as quote an outsider to some degree like we all know like being a sponsored individual, we have been called alien in literal government paperwork for years until these past, year, literally months. this <laughs> past few weeks or months. And so how do you find your niche of people who would really understand where you're at? Um, and I think for folks who have international experience, sure, but also what are some of the people who you think can provide you with the most support that you need. For instance, Jeff has mentioned, oh, I rely on the APIDA community because other than that piece that maybe they went through school where, oh, I brought smelly lunch to school, that phase, we don't go through that phase. Not saying that they would, but you know, that's like one of the examples, but the other experiences are probably very similar. I chat with my mentor who was, you know, minority identifying, gives me so many advice in terms of how to strive as a minority. And I think those are still, you know, valuable, like asset for me to grow professionally or even personally in the US. And again, from what Jeff has mentioned, I learn new things from the APIDA faculty and staff group all the time. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that I really think aside from all of these is being a lifelong learner is like critical for us who wanted to quote survive or even thrive in a foreign land. How can we bring out the best of us and how can we empower our students to bring out the best of themselves, especially given that 
in my work capacity, I work with international students majority. So when sometimes I'm going through some challenges, my mom would say, remind yourself why you're there in the first mm-hmm. place. And that will give me fire to continue, right? My family thinks I'm like a wedding planner almost doing <laughs> um but like you know they'll tell me you know you wanted a life here um I myself identify as Chinese and Japanese so you know being in Hong Kong was a little bit difficult for me yes I look like most people but for some reason either it's the way I walk or whatever people in the local university I went to knew I wasn't from there I like exude some sort of aura that tells them I'm not (laughs) local so I came here to kind of see what it's like in the U.S. in this what we call the world of the land of freedom my search committee for my current job back in 2018 they asked me what is my purpose I'm like, what do you mean? What's my purpose? Like, no one has ever asked me that question. (laughs) And when you brought this question up, I kind of thought about this because back then when I was looking for a job after all these years of school, I did not take any time off between undergrad and grad. And I graduated early in undergrad. Um, So my purpose back then was I want to make my mom proud I grew up in a single parent family and my mom is the only supporter along with my grandma and my uncles and my aunts. Um, And so I've always thought that, you know, making my mom proud is my one job. And then after I got my um, big girl job after grad school, first full-time job that I get paid um, after like a couple of weeks of working, I told my best friend at the time, I said, I don't know what my purpose is because I think my mom is proud of me already. Then that is the time when I realized what is my own purpose. So I think, you know, gradually as you really think about um, what you do and how do I remind myself of that fire that I want to keep going is whenever I think about the relationship that I have built with some of the students that I have worked with, I still text with a lot of them. They would come to me for relationship advice. <laughs> they would come to me and ask about, you know, career advice, and we would still hang out virtually or in person uh, when situation allows. I think those are the moments that really reminds me of, okay, I think all along, I just wanted to help people and, you know, help other people define themselves. And those student leaders who are doing amazing, they're doing they're getting their dream internship they are doing phenomenal seeing them um and they would tell me that oh yeah you know you and another staff member was really the two that really empowered me and challenged me to be who I am today those are the little reminders that really somehow reminds me of who I am and what I wanted to do long term I think those are the moments that really like that fire to be like, okay, Vicky, you can persist and keep going on. Um, I'm really not in this job for the money. I'm really in this job for the satisfaction. I think that, you know, having spent so much time in the US already is sort of like your motivation to keep going. Um, Because even if, I feel like if we go back to Hong Kong, it's just not the same anymore uh you know we're like besides the fact with you know any everything that's happening um you know it's just that you've been gone for so long like I've been gone for 10 years and it even like every time I go back it's kind of like a 
familiar but unfamiliar place. Um, like you can still remember some of the things, but like some of the some of the like environment is just so different. Part of it is also maybe the three of us would agree on the same thing. It's like student affairs is such a westernized idea that really only the U.S., Canada, and maybe Germany and some part of Europe really values this. And so oftentimes when I'm like, okay, mom wants me to go back to Hong Kong to, you know, move back just for the sake of moving back. I'm like, I don't know what job can I find. Um, I think that is something that I'm like, mm, maybe I should just stay for a little longer to really figure out to recalibrate what I can do other than in higher ed and student affairs then maybe by that time that might be a time where I can you know move to a new place as in either moving back to Hong Kong or moving to another place to continue my professional and personal development. And I think what you're talking about is also part of the pain points and maybe even beauty of just progressing through life as a young adult. It's also trying to navigate life itself um, and then also life here in the U.S. So last but not least, I'd like to ask, do you have any words of wisdom to any international folks that are pursuing uh, a life here in the U.S. and especially a career in student services? I think my advice would be to get as much feedback and input as you can from people you trust. And then also make your own decisions because I think you know, so many people can tell you about all the different ways you can get into this field that you can stay in the US. But at the end of the day, like so many of it will not apply to you <laughs> because they come from a completely different situation. You know, even like, I think for the three of us, like we also had a very different situation in terms of like how we got to the US, how we got our sponsorship and then what's next for us. And I think, you know, gathering as much information and, you know, hearing from as many people as you can. And obviously don't spend all your time doing that, but I think, you know, the more you can hear about like the different scenarios people have gone through and the different ways they've been able to, you know, manage all of this, um, the better. Because, you know, the more information you have, the better you are equipped to, you know, make the decision for yourself, like whether that's how to negotiate with your employer or, you know, okay, my, my, my work visa is up, what now? And obviously, like, like, I had to talk to so many people to figure out um, when was the right time to ask about permanent residency. Mm -hmm. Because like, I didn't want to wait until like, my last year of my H1B to be asking for my permanent residency. Mm -hmm. So I asked, you know, as soon as they renewed my my H, like I second asked, term. yeah, my second term H, I asked because, you know, that seemed like the best time and it was before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll try to like, you know, start the process early. Obviously I didn't know that it was going to turn into this, but, um, and yeah, I mean, like, even if I was to give advice to others, I mean, I would tell them, but it's also sort of like a, there's also a disclaimer, like we also have been working in a very like, unique situation that might not happen in our lifetime ever again um so you know listen to as much feedback as you can and then 
make your own decision. Yeah, um, totally agree with what Jeff has mentioned. I think I'm going to tackle it a little differently with three different approaches, just because I'm very type A. Um, I think number one, definitely persistence is critical for international students and especially folks like us who does who may or may not have a STEM background, just because OPT is limited, your skill set is not as quote technical, uh, whether your position can be justified as a specialty occupation or not. Um, I think like really having that grit, having that persistence in terms of, okay, um, at what point should I take a break in self-care? At what point should I persist through? I think that is critical. And that also comes back to why a support um, and a community is extremely critical. Like I really don't know how many times have I really reached out to Bianca and talk about all the visa related frustration that I've been through over the past who knows how many years, um, even though I myself does part of the immigration advising piece is my daily job. And I think number two is um, as someone who came to the US to start an undergraduate degree, I never knew of the field of student affairs before, before then. And so um, this field, higher education and student affairs was really new to me. And I think once you were able to identify that passion of yours, either that be late in undergrad or during your graduate school, you really found that specific functional area that you're interested in really from there start to do your networking either that be through um, different Facebook group that are um, kind of set up specifically for essay pros essay grads um, reach out to your allies um, some would argue you know joining professional association uh, would help I think that is kind of like a personal decision it really depends um, but that is really the time where once you know which functional area really focus on that and kind of develop and see where we can get from here to there. And I think um, last piece of advice, I think this is going to be really practical and um, to really know about immigration stuff, like either that be basic F1 benefits, OPT, CPT, um, either that be knowing the pathway to permanent residency from F visa to H to green card, like knowing the basic I think is critical so that you can manage your own expectation moving forward. There is no, you know, there, there's really no, nothing that is like, like a magic, right? Like immigration regulation is very black and white. And sometimes you just need to manage your expectation as much as we know that we wanted to stay, we wanted to continue. What are some of the possible pathways or plan Bs that you can take on this journey? I think that is extremely critical as well. But ultimately, I know like these last words of wisdoms might be um, very harsh or, you know, to some degree practical and also discouraging to some degree, but that again, it comes back to how can you find your community so that you will know that you are not the only one going through that. Like, I cannot even imagine if I have not met Bianca and some other professionals when I was in grad school, how was I able to get through that job search process? Because you get way more rejection um, and your other cohort mates who might be applying for jobs at the same time, you will have a lot more limitation depending on your own job search criteria and all. You are going to be defeated a lot more times compared to your 
your cohort mate, given that, you know, job search for domestic students are already challenging. So how do you find your support? I think that is also extremely critical as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story and words of wisdom. I feel so empowered just by talking to you this morning. And I, I know that others will feel the same way after listening to this. And I definitely look forward to conversations like this periodically. And even though we are so far from each other, I think one of the strengths of international folks is that we're actually pretty good at long distance relationships, whether that's friendship, relationship with parents, and even romantic relationships, and that we have that grit that Vicky was saying to move forward. 